is the Mayfair Witchcast, where I tell my favorite person, me, Tim, my favorite story. So listen along every week as I break down this story chapter by chapter with that insight, me. Warning, we are not professionals. This story contains many triggers. We talk about them as gently as we can. But I'm just a girl telling her husband an amazing story of a family of witches, ghosts, ancient orders, lust, and love. So join us for a read-along in discussion of the lives of the Mayfair witches. Hi, babe. Hello, dear. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Mayfair Witchcast. Today, we're continuing our recap of part two, Vile on the Mayfair Witches. We're going to start at chapter 19 and hopefully get all the way through chapter 24. I tried my best to condense these and just to remind you of all the many things you probably forgot since we many many weeks ago read this i'm sure there's been plenty i also feel like this is a be a good i don't know sort of interim for listeners who don't want to listen to every chapter in great detail but mm-hmm. want like a reminder of what happened in the books which notes exactly for today's Witch Notes, we are starting with Chapter 19. The file on the Mayfair Witches, Part 6. Years 1900 through 1929. So the Talamasca gets better. The Mayfair family moves into the law business and they become Americanized. Gossip runs wild, records are kept, and the family goes from French to Irish. We learn about the physical traits of the family. There's incest. The true history is lost in this time. Mary Beth is strong and successful. And we pick up after the death of Marguerite. The baby snatcher, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, she's a crazy old lady at this point. The family then move. From Riverbend to the First Street house. Mary Beth is gender fluid and is well liked. She's a boss. In 1891, the slash her house is full of family. She's a strong witch who knows where everyone is all the time. She commands spirits and dabbles in voodoo and shape-shifting. Or by location, she can also kick your ass. Lasher is present at this time. Mary Beth makes more money. The ever-flowing purse of coins and jewels is seen a lot. And the Mayfair fortune grows with her. We hear stories of Mary Beth magically showing up when someone is about to double-cross her and getting even. The family gets super rich. Mary Beth loves her family and spreads the wealth. She spoils her children. She brings the extended family together, making them loyal and tight-knit. We get stories of Mary Beth telling the future. Mary Beth repeats the quote, Nothing is predetermined. 
Aaron tells us several stories of mysterious deaths surrounding Mary Beth. Mary Beth and her love of the party is talked about. She gets hers, behaving more like a man of the time. We are told about her beloved husband, Daniel McIntyre, who is also Julian's lover. Meanwhile, Riverbend sinks. Mary Beth's mother, Catherine, goes crazy and dies. 1905 with no storm huh? Carlotta is born September 1st 1899 then Lionel on November 4th 1900 and finally Stella October 10th 1901 who's the dad no one knows for sure but Stella is probably Julian's or maybe Cortland's then we get a little bit about Cortland his descendants are involved and very rich. Cortland's ex-wife, Amanda, will become a great source of information, telling the Telemasca all about her husband, the man-witch. She talks all about him appearing in her room and how he went away with Stella. We get some information on the early years of Carlotta, Lionel, and Stella. Stella is the star of the family but frightens others with her abilities. Although she is sweet and tries to fit in. In a story from Sister Bridget Marie, we hear about her mind reading, calling her a witch and evil. When Julian dies, the three are teenagers. Then the core family takes a world trip, starting in Donalea, Scotland. When they get home, Stella is given the emerald. Lasher is, of course, seen in this time. Aaron wonders about the connection between the man and the legacy. Do they have to see him to get the legacy? He then moves on to Stella as the designee of the legacy. She's a flapper without a care in the world. In 1921, Stella is pregnant with Antha, who is born in November of that year. The family goes to Europe again where a maid takes a terrible fall. <laughs> we are told of how baby Antha can call Lasher. Stella lives in New York, happy with her brother, and when they go back to New Orleans, a party is held where a photographer is given a message to the Talamasca. It reads, with love, P.S. There are others who want too. The Talamasca is scared. On September 11th, 1925, Mary Beth dies with a clap of thunder. The Mayfairs assemble with umbrellas in hand. A doctor in attendance sees people who aren't there at the moment of her death, including Lasher. Or was it Julian? Aaron ponders over this and says Mary Beth was the last very strong witch. We move on to the wild and crazy Stella. The family fights over money. Stella brings certain members of the family together while leaving others out. The secretive gatherings are said to be for voodoo and seances. Or is she looking for abilities? Carlotta is the responsible one and Lionel misses his mom. Meanwhile, little Antha is seen with Lasher. And Carlotta wants custody of Antha and Nancy. 
to, to send them away. This splits the family up even more. Aaron ends this chapter by saying it's now time to include the strange case of Stuart Townsend. Stewie. Do you remember? Yeah, he goes in and gets killed. Yeah, do you remember who he was? Not really. Okay. Since you don't. Chapter 20. The file on the Mayfair Witches Part 7. Stewie. The disappearance of Stuart Townsend. Stuart thinks Stella's message means she wants to meet them. He's been studying them for years, and the Telemasca has the file. They may be able to learn more. It should be shared with the family. They're related to this family because of Peter Van Abel, and they also might be able to help. So Stuart, who is in love with Stella, is given permission to go. Aaron then gives us the life story of Stuart Townsend, or the boy who had been somebody else for 10 years. As a boy, a fever causes him to go into a coma, and when he wakes up, he is now Antoinette Fielding, a French-speaking young woman. They then call them Tony. She is forced to live as a boy, although she has memories of her life. Life goes on, and at 20 years old, Antoinette, or Tony, or Stuart, falls down the stairs and wakes up again as 10-year-old Stuart. No memory of the last 10 years. The story works its way to the Talamasca, who offers help. He and the Talamasca conclude that he has been possessed by a ghost who didn't know she was dead. He reads the file while assisting with exorcisms. Aaron lets us know that Stuart should never have been sent to New Orleans. He was unprepared and unwarned. He has no abilities to help him. A month after Stuart's arrival in New Orleans, all leads are exhausted and Carlotta has admitted to seeing him along with Stella, but can't find him. Arthur Langtree is then sent to find out what happened. He is a powerful psychic. Stella eventually invites him to the house for a party, telling him she doesn't know what happened to Stuart. Stella says she is scared. Arthur collects some information. He writes a letter home to the Talamasca. Before attending this large party, his abilities are telling him that Stella is truthful. She doesn't know what happened to Stuart. So he gets there, and as he's exploring the crowded house, he sees the ghost of Stuart. Arthur can tell that Stuart wants him to go away. Arthur feels delirious, as he expected to with this type of encounter. He makes his way to the library while trying to memorize what he saw, and collect himself, and he comes to the conclusion that Stuart is in this house. He then sees the man in the mirror, staring at him angrily. And then a very upset Stella enters and asks Arthur to take her away to the Talamasca. And as Arthur is making his way to leave, he sees little Antha on the stairs. Then Lionel appears with a gun and shoots Stella. During all this chaos and a storm, Arthur wrestles the gun away from Lionel. All the windows are breaking. 
as Arthur is leaving, he sees Lasher again in the yard, looking distraught. He leaves town, writes a warning to the town of Masco, saying, watch and wait, as this is our motto. Two days later, Arthur is dead. Dead. Chapter 21 was really short. It's Rowan in a dream state. She's on the plane. She's been assaulted. Uh. By Lasher. Yeah. Kitty, right? Chapter 22. We file on the Mayfair Witches Part 8. The Family. 1925 to 1956. After Stella's death, the Great Depression starts. Stella's things are removed. The house is closed up. Lionel is put away. He goes insane and dies, having swallowed his own tongue. This is the end of an era. Stella is the first of the family to die young and by violence. We learn that Talamasca blames the family for the deaths of Stuart and Arthur. Carlotta seems great at this time, but we know she isn't. The Talamasca decides that no farther contact will be made until Antha is older. In 1953, Aaron is charged with the organization and studying of the file. We then learn about Aaron. Born in 1921, he joins the Talamasca at the age of seven. He has displayed telekinesis and other abilities. He attends Oxford and he studies witches. And by the time he takes over the file, Antha is dead and Deirdre is 12 years old. Aaron's charm makes him perfect for this job. Not to mention his mind reading abilities and he can also sense danger. Antha grows up in a gloomy house where no work can be completed. Workmen are terrorized by Lasher, or some say Stella's spirit. Antha's already considered insane. Cortland is turned away when he tries to help her. She's seen with the man often. She tries to run away to New York, becomes a writer, and falls in love with a man named Sean Lacey, and gets pregnant. Shortly after, Sean is killed in an accident and Antha loses it. Cortland is contacted. He sends his ex-wife, Amanda, who says the whole thing is terrible. Cortland and Carlotta start their battle over what to do. And Carlotta gets her way, taking Antha to an institute in New Orleans. Carlotta tries to have Antha's baby aborted. Cousins start visiting Antha. She seems better. At home, nurses say Antha is not crazy, but Carlotta wants her drugged anyways. Deirdre is born on October 4th, 1941. She is baptized in secret. Carlotta keeps the family away, and Antha is surprised to learn that she even owns the house. Carlotta has been lying to her. Antha wants to fix up the house, and everything seems great. She sends her writing off to New York with the mailman and will fall to her death that very afternoon with a storm over the house and the emerald around her neck, which hasn't been seen since Stella. Little Deirdre is left with Carlotta when a New York cousin tries to get involved. He is found dead in a hotel, drugged and suffocated to Deirdre. The house keeps going downhill. Cortland is still turned away. Not much is known of these early years. 
cousins die. Aaron begins his work. Deirdre follows in the footsteps of her mother, often seen with the man. Nancy and Belle grow old. Deirdre is wild, running away for the first time at nine, making up wild stories. At ten, Cortland tries to send her away to boarding school. By thirteen, she's way too mature for her age. By fourteen, she attempts suicide. Cortland tries again to get Deirdre out by sending her to California, where she is seen with the man and sent home. At 16, she is in school and meets her best friend, Rita Mae, who unusually hears the voice of the man, noted by Aaron. Deirdre also has the emerald in her possession at this time. In 1956, Deirdre is committed and given shock treatment. When she gets home, fights ensue and cops are called. Deirdre runs again and is eventually found in New York and committed once more before she'll go to live with Cortland. Carlotta is distraught. We learn a bit about Cortland's house and family. Like, Ellie grew up there. Deirdre seems to be fine in this time. She is seen with what is thought to be her lover, or by some, the man. In 1958, Aaron is ready to save Deirdre. His mentor is gone, and there's no one left alive to stop him. <laughs> Chapter 23 The File on the Mayfair Witches, Part 9 Deirdre Revised, 1989 So, Aaron gets to New Orleans, contacts Richard Llewellyn, we know that story. He gets the scoop on the family from all the locals, he sees the house, says it's evil, he even goes to the tomb, where there are always fresh flowers. He drives out to Riverbend. He learns that the family has lost its history. Aaron also hears that the informant, Dandridge, has been killed by Carlotta. And that there's a body in the house. He's warned not to go there. Aaron wants to actually see Deirdre before he makes contact. So he goes to watch her at college from a small distance. She eventually confronts him. She's wearing the emerald at the time. After his abilities pick up danger, he badly tries to explain himself. But Deirdre wants no part of any of it. She takes his business card and then she tries to give Lasher to Aaron by giving him the emerald. Aaron tries again to offer help and ask more questions, but all she wants is a normal life. Without Lasher, she repeats Lasher's warning. I shall eat the meat and drink the wine and have the women when he is moldering in the grave. But what she meant to say was, when you are no longer bones in the grave. Deirdre sends Aaron away, but not before he sees the man and it scares the shit out of both of them. Calamasca tells him to come home, but instead he's just going to be careful. Aaron wants to help break the chain. Lasher is strong and he likes it. Next, Aaron writes Cortland and Carlotta a letter explaining everything. Then Cortland shows up at the hotel bar. 
They have a long conversation. Aaron is glad it's not Carlotta. But then Cortland spikes Aaron's drink. When Cortland diverts Aaron's attention, he catches a quick glimpse of the man. Aaron does not drink his drugged bourbon. He is in his element and loving it. Cortland threats him legally and urges Aaron to drink his bourbon. Then Cortland tells Aaron he shouldn't have gone to see his niece Deirdre. And Aaron replies with the argument that the Talamasca is related to the family for Peter Van Abel. And this, among other Talamasca members, make them connected. Like, remember how, you know, they killed the two other guys? Yeah. <laughs> Cortland denies these accusations of murder. Aaron explains the Talamasca just wants to know and help. They both agree that seeing Deirdre wasn't helpful. And Cortland says that Julian was a witch, but he is not. He warns Aaron to stay away and says there isn't one of them. That the last one of them, the last witch, was Mary Beth. Although Deirdre is strong. Cortland leaves. Aaron assumes that Cortland is the true murderer of the family. And he collects the bourbon into a little bottle and is promptly kicked out of New Orleans. <laughs> Aaron finds his own way home and falls sick on the trip with a fever. He lives to find out that he has indeed been poisoned by a woman at the airport. He suffers some serious PTSD, afraid of being poisoned. In the meantime, Carlotta is sending the Talamasca legal threats. Then Deirdre's story continues. Using professionals, Erin watches her at college. And by the spring, she falls apart. She's pregnant. And soon, heavily sedated. The father of her child is assumed to be a professor. And homelands take care of her. And, of course, the professor dies in an accident. Carlotta decides that the baby will be adopted by a family member. Aaron notes that this professor never existed, and no one knows, but Cortland is probably the father. And Cortland is desperate to see Deirdre. He is injured at the house, saying that the man pushed him. He's taken to the hospital, and he pleads with the doctor to help Deirdre as he dies. The story is that he fell down the stairs. The family accepts this, and they accept the adoption. And it's not until 30 years later that Aaron hears from Rita May. She tells him the story of what happened, how she fought Carlotta for the business card, but it was destroyed. This happens when they meet at a funeral again. But anyways, Rowan is born 5 a.m. on November 7th, 1959. A healthy 9-pound, 8-ounce baby girl. Deirdre is told to kiss her goodbye. Deirdre insists on the baby having the Mayfair name, but it's actually Carlotta who gives her the name Rowan. At the baptism, she explains that the Rowan tree was used to ward off witches in Ireland. We learn that through blood typing, Rowan's father is Cortland. And Deirdre's and Stella's. Most likely. Soon after, Deirdre is catatonic. For seven years, she is in and out of institutions. 
1976, she's at First Street forever. The woman on the porch. The man is seen over the years at the house. Aaron wonders if Deirdre can control Asher or not. Or if maybe he's just there to make her comfortable and happy. The telemaster gets his hands on some of Deirdre's clothes and see a woman who is happy, living in dreams with a beautiful lover. Aaron closes with, Deirdre has worn the emerald since 1976. He's been to all the funerals, giving Carlotta his card many a time. He says that Rowan probably doesn't know any of this, and she may be the strongest witch the family has ever made. Chapter 24. Rowan is unnoticed at her mother's funeral, trying to work up the nerve to go up to the coffin. She sees a little girl with a ribbon in her hair among hundreds of other Mayfairs. She thinks about the house and Michael and all that. She hears people talk about her. The girl with the ribbon is still watching her when Jerry Lonigan comes. Then they all see her. And then a still frozen Rowan meets Alicia and her daughter Mona, who is a little girl. And all the rest of the family, one by one, one by one, the family or Legion, Carlotta is not there. Rowan remembers Ellie's warning not to go back. She is overwhelmed. There are still more cousins coming. A young Pierce helps her up to the coffin where she sees Aaron and Rita May. Aaron tells her telepathically that Michael will come soon as he and Jerry help her up to the coffin. Aaron and Rowan kind of communicate some more in their minds as they get to Deirdre. People start kissing the body. Rita tells Rowan that Deirdre did not want to give her up. And as she looks at Aaron and Rita May, she decides that she wants to be alone with her mother. That is the end of chapter 24. <laughs> and I think that is a good place for us to pause our recap. And when we come back, we'll talk about it a little bit. back so babe how much of that had you forgotten oh most of it yeah like Long. Stuart well knew about Stewie Stewie's body just got found yeah did you remember that he had lived as a woman for 10 years no didn't remember that a ghost in his body nope Arthur do you remember him at all nope Short but sweet and kind of dead. Short interaction dead. with the Mayfairs. Dead. So you didn't make a ton of predictions in those chapters. It, it was kind of hard to, I think. Because <laughs> we were kind of catching back up to what we had already known. Just filling in some missing details. But you did say after chapter 19 that this the wild stories Stella told were coming from other people's minds. Which we didn't get an answer on, but I think... Yeah, she fucked with people. Yeah. 
And then we learn her, learn about Antha telling crazy stories when she runs away. Like, she had been poisoned, but then was taken to the hospital where she got, like, a blood transfusion. And how they belonged to a circus, but the animal trainer killed her mother. Do you remember any of that? Like, uh, the, yeah. So, Aunt, she had wild stories. I wonder where they got them. Were they just that creative? Yeah, that was going to be a writer. She had stories and poems. She sent them off to New York and then died. Which we now know was Carlotta. Yep. We didn't know at the time. You also said at that chapter that Michael's going to want to kill Rowan? <laughs> After reading this? I don't know. <laughs> you also predicted before we heard about it, that Stuart is a stalker. Which, he was very close. So, I think you get a point for that. After chapter 20, you predicted that Carlotta did it all. Which, we Ten know points. she did some, some, most of it. She's been credited to. So, point. And after chapter 24, you said that Rowan is going to trust Aaron. Which is a point. And you also said that this funeral is going to be a long, drawn-out thing, which is also true. But I'm not giving you a point for that. Because aren't all funerals long, drawn-out things? Yeah. When you have money? You don't have to add the money thing. Irrelevant. Get one more point. Bringing you up to a total of 11 and a half. <laughs> out of what? How many predictions? Oh, I don't know. What are the points for? Fun! <laughs> Who are you even playing against? Myself. <laughs> I'll have to listen back through and figure out how many you got. I win! I win! We're not even done with this recap yet, so... <laughs> I still win. <laughs> I'll wipe my own ass. <laughs> <laughs> Go see it. <laughs> so yeah like during this time the house continues to deteriorate there's more mistreatment of women especially we learn about more people with abilities the man is still around these themes continue through the book any of this sound like it has anything to do with Michael's visions in the recap no Oh, the doorway in number 13? Where now? How, where do you get that from? I'm just wondering if anything popped out to you. No. Something pop out to you? You want to yeah. share? I ask you this every time. So I know, but it sounds like you're hiding something from me. <laughs> you missed it, you dumbass. No. No, absolutely not. Something we don't talk about. Why the emerald? I don't know. Didn't I have a prediction about that? Maybe back in the first part. <laughs> no clue what that's all about. You think you said he's like in it or they need it. We don't have answers yet, so... Nope. All we know is that his name is carved on the back. It's encased in gold. It's heavy as fuck. It doesn't work for Rowan. Nope. She's been holding it and calling, yeah. yeah. But they all seem to have it at key moments, although not always. Disappears for a while, but it always comes back. Another thing we hear about a lot in these few chapters are being 
one of them. Which is? What do you think makes a Mayfair one of them or not one of them? Abilities. I can see Flasher. You think it's just seeing him or do you think it's like controlling him? Because well. I mean, fucking Aaron can see him. Michael can see him. They're not one of them. Well, well. don't have answers yet to come. Hopefully we'll continue the wrap up in the next episode. And we'll have more of your predictions and more questions for you. But, first, there is one more thing I want to talk about. <laughs> the casting call. Yes. It is the news on the TV show from AMC on the Vampire Chronicles. A Jacob Anderson has been cast as Louie. He is, of course, best known as Grey Worm from Game of Thrones. I loved this character. He was a character of, like, few words, but the, the guy did such a good job of, like, conveying emotion through looks. And it's a one, wonderful job he did. I really loved his portrayal of that character. He's also been on Broadchurch, which is popular, and many, many other things. His resume goes way back. Tried to watch that. Yeah. Too British. Well, everybody's in it. There's like two two of the doctors are in it. Oh, yeah. Well, too British. Let's try again. I never, I've never tried. I don't know. So, Jacob Anderson is also a musician. He's an R&B singer who goes by Raleigh Ritchie. I think I'm saying that first name right. R-A-L-I-E-G-H. Raleigh. Like the city. Yeah, it's pronounced. <laughs> His most recent album is from 2020. It's titled Andy. We can listen to that. If allowed, maybe I'll put it at the end of the pod. So the general response to this has been quite negative, which surprised me. Uh, seems fans are upset that they're not keeping everything totally canon by choosing a black guy to play Louie. I have read that they're changing him from being a slave owner to a brothel owner, which would, I think, keep in with the character of he still owns people. He's still making money in a wrong way. He was essentially a pimp. So that part of the character holds true. And yet, we will get representation. Which is lacking in her stories. Which is, a, to me, like a welcome change. Right? I don't think it will... I think they can arc it to make Louie still be Louie. In just a different way. But we will get representation, hopefully, in a good way. I'm going to stay positive about it. I can't expect everything to be canon. Never, ever have I seen an adaptation that is 100% canon. And when they do try to go canon, sometimes it's weird. 
you use that word way too many times. Did I? Yeah. Well, there is no other word for it. <laughs> Can I could say canonically. I mean, that's. I feel like that's obnoxious, though. Well, I feel like you should. Yeah, you should use that. Every other one. <laughs> <laughs> like Game of Thrones, for instance. Certain scenes. They left in. That they could have easily taken out. That were weird. Also, in Game of Thrones, they changed it. And it was like the best ever. Like, no one was expecting the Red Wedding. It shocked everybody. And it was fucking great. I don't care what anybody says. Although they could have brought... I think I missed that episode. But I heard you. I heard you. It's just so long. No, you've seen it. It was just so many years ago. I don't think so. I know you. I think I remember you making a big deal about that scene, though. Yeah, I did. It it was gut-wrenching and (laughs) surprising because it wasn't what happened in the books. You're expecting one thing to go happen, and then that happened, and they killed characters off way sooner than they were supposed to, and then they didn't bring characters back like they were supposed to, which was upsetting. So it was at the same time wonderful and terrible, but that's how adaptations go, and that's what makes it entertaining. Why would I want to watch a word-for-word of interview with the vampire and so on I do kind of want to be surprised so we'll see what happens with that they're ways away yeah you've only seen the movie which was also not they left out so much in the movie Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to see what they do listeners I'd love to know what you're thinking about it. Even though we are the Mayfair Witch cast, the Vampire Chronicles are still in this universe <laughs> that the wonderful Anne Rice created, whom I cannot thank enough. Also, babe, do you know it's been one year since I picked up The Witching Hour again and started thinking about doing this podcast? Oh, how's that? Seriously. I mean, I had been thinking about it for a long time, but it was about this time last year when it was almost spooky season, and I wanted to, like, get in the mood, and I was like, I'll read this book again. And, you know, 2020. Listeners, by the way, our house is decorated. Oh, yeah, it is spooky season in this household already. Pumpkins, skeletons, the like. Jars with unknown contents. Gross. And dolls. Gross. Creepy dolls. I've got a creepy doll, babe. Have you found it yet? No. Okay. Did you make make a fucking doll of me? (laughs) (laughs) Is that one of my back hurts? Look around for the doll. I can't wait till you find it. You're fucking creepy. (laughs) (laughs) and yeah listeners let me know if you're in the mood for spooky season if you have anything you want to say about this wonderful story about creepy witches it's called halloween (laughs) 
Spooky season. Halloween happens on Monday. Fall. This is not the holiday harvest. season. Yeah, harvest season. Spooky season. I can't, like, what was I saying? Five oh, yes. I was asking our listeners to please email us at themayfairwitchcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at mayfaircast. We're also on Instagram, the Mayfair Witchcast. You can find us in all the places where you listen. Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. And until we do, or until next week, thank you so much for listening. Very well. Bye-bye.